Today's readings are from Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 9, sorry, 1 through 7, and Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 11, which can be found on page 509 of the Black Bibles. Before reading, please bow your heads and join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, help us to seek your wisdom, not for our own good, but that we may better love and serve you. Please be with Pastor Jim this morning as he preaches, and give us ready hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young, let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. From Proverbs 2. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you indeed cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk blamelessly, guarding the paths of justice and preserving the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Prudence will watch over you, and understanding will guide you. This is the word of the Lord. Over the next uh, five weeks, we're going to be exploring uh, this topic of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And today and next week, we're asking the question, what is wisdom? And then we'll spend three weeks applying wisdom to different areas of life, our relationships, how we use our money, how we use our words. So why do we need wisdom? Whenever I consider this question, I think of a story I heard many years ago from uh, the theologian Neil Plantiga. He told a story about how the, the World Health Organization once tried to help the residents of Borneo exterminate houseflies, which were suspected of causing disease, uh, there, And so to, to deal with this situation, officials sprayed the insides of the houses there in Borneo with large quantities of DDT. And uh, that had some unfortunate uh, sort of disastrous uh, sequence of, of effects that, that followed. The, the flies died. It, it worked in that respect. Uh, but also the local gecko lizards, who were the flies' uh, natural uh, predator, Uh, They they feasted on the fly corpses, and then they got sick from the DDT concentrated in them. Uh, And then the the sick condition of of these geckos made them easy prey for the house cats, who ate up, really ate their fill of these DDT-poisoned geckos, and the house cats also got sick and, and died. And the loss of the cats gave the rats free run of the people's houses, and when the rats began to devour the, the, the people's food and their homes and to threaten people with serious disease, uh, especially bubonic plague, 
the government got a little panicky and they started scrambling for solutions. And at last, they arranged for, for a large number of foreign cats to be parachuted into the area in order to mend the break in the food chain. Friends, this is why we need wisdom. It's not enough to just be able to do something like, hey, let's exterminate the house flies. We need wisdom to know the right things to do and the right things not to do. You know, so you don't foolishly kill off all your house cats and get bubonic plague, but more typically, so you know the right thing to say to diffuse an argument uh, rather, than, rather than escalate it, or perhaps the right thing not to say. Uh, to, to be wise in, in how you use your money, how to live in ways uh, with others that are right and just and fair, as Proverbs 1 puts it. So this is why we need to think about wisdom. Three, three points about it today. What is it? Where do you find it? And how do you get it? First, what is wisdom? And our default understanding of wisdom is often that it's a kind of intellectual knowledge. If you know the right thing, then you will be wise. But we saw with the, the World Health Organization in, in Borneo, it's not enough to just know things. It's what you do with your knowledge that counts. And this is what we see in the Bible. The, the Hebrew word for wisdom, it's the word chokmah. It's used in, in Proverbs 1. Uh, we heard it today to, to, to describe what is contained in the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon. But it's also used elsewhere in the Bible, like in the book of Exodus, to describe the skill of people. In, in Exodus, it's used to describe the skill of the craftsmen who build the tabernacle, in Exodus 35, 35. And when we think about biblical wisdom, we need to think about it in this kind of holistic way. Yes, knowledge, but also skill. It's, it's a knowledge that is matured into skill. It's a skill at, at living well. According to Proverbs, God has designed the world in such a way that we can discover the, the patterns that lead to a successful life. You know how when you rub your hand over a piece of wood, you can either go with the grain or against the grain? Uh, if you go you know, with the grain, it's, it's smooth. If you go against the grain, it, it's rough. Well, I like to think about Proverbs like this. Proverbs wants to introduce us to the grain of the universe. Uh, and it urges us to go with the grain rather than against the grain. Life goes well, Proverbs says, when we go with the grain of how God has made things. So this kind of wisdom, knowing the right thing to do in, in the right situation, have, a, have a, the skill of wisdom is especially needed for living life well when the right choice isn't obvious, as often happens. Do I go to this college or that college? Should I major in business or biology? Whom should I marry? How should I use my money? How should I use my spare time? Sometimes there's not a law or a, or a commandment to guide us. Or, or uh, there may be a uh, a specific law that covers our situation, or, but, but that law can be interpreted or, or applied in, in various ways, and we need wisdom. In, in cases like this, how do we know what is right? 
And this is why wisdom is more than just intellectual knowledge. You can memorize Proverbs, but that's not enough to be, to be wise. You need to be skilled at using wisdom. And we see this in Proverbs uh, in the ways in which some of the Proverbs sometimes contradict one another. Proverbs 26, 4 to 5 say, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And then it says immediately after that, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own ways. It's not enough to just know the proverb. You have to know how to use it and when to use it to apply it to the right situation in the right way. This, this is why I'm saying Proverbs or wisdom is, is a skill. And this is the skill for life, a, the skill for living that the father who speaks in chapter 2 wants for his son. Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son... If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The picture I have here is of a parent teaching a child how to ride a bike. How do you learn how to ride a bike? Well, not just by learning facts about bikes, how the wheels are attached to the frame, maybe how the brakes work, or, or the laws of physics that allows you to balance. Bike riding is a skill that comes through doing. It, it may require some learning, but also a commitment. I, I'm going to learn how, how to ride this bike. To, it, it requires taking risks and then building the skill over time. Wisdom is, is this kind of skill. So that's our first point. Where, where do you find wisdom like this? Well, look again at, at Proverbs chapter 2. Notice the paradox here. On the one hand, the father says to the son, listen to me, accept my words, store up my commands. And on the other hand, he tells the son to go search for wisdom. And I think this is important for us to see because the father holds together here two attitudes towards wisdom that are often separated uh, in our culture. If the father only said, listen to me, obey my words, but th- that would be a kind of traditionalism. We do find lots of traditional instruction in Proverbs, but if If what the father says here is true, it's not the whole picture. Wisdom is more than just discovering rules for life and then obeying those rules. The father also says that the son must call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. He must go out and search for wisdom. Now again, if we just took that on its own, it might be reduced to a kind of of self-discovery where everything depends upon your search and and your discovery. Kind of like Dr. Seuss's uh, children's story, Oh, the Places You'll Go. You know this story? Starts out, congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own. And you know what you know, and you are the guy who'll decide where to go. 
You see, we're often stuck, I think, between these two different attitudes, between a traditional mindset and you know, a more modern self-discovery mindset, either obeying the tradition, finding out the rules for life and going that way, or going out to discover for ourselves what is right. One of the best illustrations I've seen of this recently is in the Netflix uh, series, The Crown. <coughs> the Crown tells the story of England's royal family in the 20th century. Queen Elizabeth, her husband Philip, her sister, Princess Margaret. And much of the story revolves around conflict uh, between those in the royal family who are traditionally minded and those who feel the pull of a, a modern identity. You know, who feel free, despite being royals, feel free to discover themselves and, and make decisions not based on just how things have always been done at the palace. So, for example, Princess Margaret wants to marry a divorced man, and Queen Elizabeth has to tell her sister that she just can't do it. Elizabeth feels the weight of tradition as the queen and she does her duty even when that means sacrifice for her or for her family. She conforms to the traditions of the palace. Princess Margaret, she always feels stifled by the role that she must play as a royal. She wants to follow her heart. See, what we've been saying here, based on Proverbs 2, is that biblical wisdom is something different. It's not just doing your duty, keeping the rules, but it's also not just following your heart. It's an attitude of humility mixed with confidence. So the father can say both, come, listen to me, and go, search for wisdom. See, when you combine both of these, you can learn from tradition, from parents, from other authorities, but at the same time, you don't have to follow the crowd. You can be independent and go your own way when it's necessary. And we see this again in verses 9 and 10. When the father promises not only that wisdom will lead to good behavior, he says, uh, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path, but also that wisdom will engage the young man's desires. He says, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. When you have wisdom, you do what is right, but more than this, you want to do what is right and to do it for the right reasons. So this, this brings us to our last point. How, how do you get wisdom like this? How does this kind of wisdom enter into your heart? And we're going to be talking about that more next week, but just one essential point today. Notice that we're told in Proverbs 2 that wisdom is something that must be sought, but also that it's a gift that comes to those in relationship with God. Proverbs 2, uh, verses 6, and eight, 6 to 8. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. At the heart of this here is the concept of the fear of the Lord that we heard in, in chapter 1 as well. This, this fear of the Lord is not uh, an emotional terror, but a reverence and an awe before God. 
a sense of your place in the universe and, and humility. And without the fear of the Lord, without this relationship with God, Proverbs says, it, it's impossible to be truly wise. We've been saying to, to have that kind of wisdom, you have to have two things. You have to be humble, willing to, to listen to others, but you also have to be confident, able to go out there and search for wisdom. It's this kind of humble confidence that the fear of the Lord brings in relationship with, with a God who is both holy, before whom you stand in awe, and who is also gracious and loving. If you believe in a God like this, you're, you're humbled by the knowledge that God is God, and you are not. Now, Proverbs can even urge us to be open to God's rebuke and, and discipline. Uh, chapter 3 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. So, you can put yourself in that kind of position before God, and it's what we should expect if God is holy. We'll, we'll all need his correction uh, at different times and in different areas of life. But if you only believed that God was holy, you might be too anxious to ever do anything, to ever take any risks. But the Bible says that this holy God is also forgiving and gracious. And so if, if, if you believe that, you'll be confident and bold as you step out into life. You don't have to be afraid of making mistakes or of getting lost. And if God has revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus, then no matter what folly you've fallen into, you can know that God longs to see you redeemed and restored to wholeness. If you believe that you're loved by the God of the universe, then even when you experience suffering as a result of the, the folly of others or, or your own, you can trust in his wisdom. When you enter into a relationship with God like this, it's transformative. This is what a young man named Eustace Scrub discovered in C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Don Treader in the Chronicles of Narnia. Eustace is one of my favorite characters in the Chronicles of Narnia. He's this boy who gets dragged into an adventure that he didn't choose in the land of Narnia with his cousins Lucy and Edmund. And Eustace is a fool. Proverbs would describe him as the worst kind of fool, a mocker, someone who is wise in his own eyes. He looks down on everyone else. He complains. He steals. He's mean and petty. He's thoughtless. But one night, something happens to him that changes everything. Uh, he finds this enormous pile of treasure in a cave. And, and this was Eustace's dream come true. And he's thrilled to find this treasure. And, and he, he falls asleep on top of this pile of treasure, making plans of what he's going to do with this newfound wealth. But when he wakes up, he discovers that he's turned into a hideous dragon. The treasure belonged to a dragon. And as Lewis writes, this is what happened. Sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragon, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he'd become a dragon himself. Eustace became what he worshipped. The, the experience 
of being a dragon is, is very difficult for Eustace, as you can imagine. He, he's cut off from others. He's in pain. He's afraid for the future. Will he be a dragon forever? But as he goes through this difficult time of living as a dragon, something happens. His desires begin to change. He longs to be just a boy again. His pride is taken away, and, and he's humbled. He begins to see other people in a very different kind of way. And one day, Eustace meets a mysterious lion who leads him to a garden and tells him to undress, to try and take off his dragon skin. And he manages to peel off a layer, but he just finds another layer of, of dragon skin underneath. And this happens repeatedly until the lion uh, says to him, you will have to let me undress you. And here's how Eustace describes what happened next. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. I turned into a boy again. The lion, of course, was, was Aslan, the, the great Christ figure of Narnia. And in this encounter with Aslan, Eustace moves from a path of folly to a path of wisdom. Wisdom enters his heart. Friends, this is what all Christians discover. That when you choose to go your own way, defining good and evil for yourself, you walk a path of folly that's destructive to yourself and to others. You become dragonish. But when you turn to God, instead of living for yourself, and when you let him undress you, even when it's painful, your pride is taken away and you're humbled. You begin to see that, that this wisdom that comes from relationship with God is more important than anything else that you could ever have in life. More important than those other things that tug at your heart like sex or money or power. This is the kind of wisdom that we see embodied in Jesus. And he was the wisest person in the world, and yet he suffered. He was mocked and, and rejected by everyone. He was poor. He didn't have a successful career. He had no children. In, in the society in which he lived, and, and still today, nothing appeared more foolish than for him to die on a cross. And yet he was willing to suffer and to die because something was more important to him than looking good, than being successful, than riches. What was it? It was the love of his father that he was committed to sharing with you and me. This is what he says in John 15, 9. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me. 
so have I loved you. Jesus says that the, the love that the Father had for his Son from all eternity is shown to us in him. He longs to give us his wisdom so that we might know him better, so that we might walk in his ways, and so that we might love others as he has loved us. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father, we accept the words that we have heard today, and we turn to you in faith. We call out for the insight that only you can bring. We cry aloud for understanding. Help us. Help us to be humble, to be wise, and to walk in ways that are right and just and fair. Thank you that Jesus was willing to be treated like a fool so that we might be made wise. And would you give us the grace to show that same kind of sacrificial suffering love to others? We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.